plugging, I would say it's a sport. Mm, right. <laughs> it's a combination of uh, running and uh, picking up trash on the way. Well, we definitely make an effort to make this activity part of uh, our regular lifestyles. Uh, you meet your friends, you exercise, you run, and then you also do something good for the environment. I think developed countries generally would be more aware, a little bit more on top of things, and actually trying to do something about it, and the governments as well. But I'm not so sure. I think there's a big difference between being aware, and a lot of people I think are environmentally aware generally, but actually doing something about it and then analyzing behavior and changing behavior. I don't think in this particular context, actually, developed countries have played a dual role in terms of taking on the responsibility, but rather uh, they've been shipping the burden actually to other developing countries. So in many, many cases, uh, most of the plastic waste actually exported to China and the other developing countries ended up in river sheds and of course running to the oceans there. At this moment, not a single country on this planet has figured out really the perfect solution. Each country needs to take on the responsibility. In the meantime, we, globally, we need to figure out how to work together to address that. The governments obviously have to play some kind of role in it, and nobody can do it better than China. I mean, as far as going from top down, and when we talk about how they can integrate it, I think that people don't realize, but we've got, you know, 89 million or 90 million party members that are throughout the society and that work in every aspect and facet of the society that can probably work towards getting something like this done. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun, joining our discussion on how the world can essentially reduce reliance on plastics and beat plastic pollution are Changhua Wu, Executive Director of the Professional Association for China's Environment, Kathleen Sogor, Co-Founder, Trash Running, Edward Lehman, founder and managing director of China-based law firm Lehman Li and Xu, and Mike Baston, China Observer and Senior Lecturer at the University of Southampton in the UK. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining. First of all, let me have this uh, mini poll. Of all the stuff in your home, how many of them are plastic or plastic related? Shall we start with Chenghua, please? Sure, thank you. I never counted, so I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to give you the number. But if you check each room, uh, you know, in the kitchen, if you open the door of the fridge, uh, that's pretty much, if not 95, 99, maybe 95 percent actually somehow the food or whatever wrapped up in plastics, single-use plastics in particular. And uh, the bathroom and uh, from the cabin, if you open it, you know, uh, the shampoo bottle, you have all kinds of bottles stuff like that there as well. And then, of course, the mobile phones, laptops, whatever. So plastic is a pretty much a ubiquitous sort of existence in our daily life. Uh, it's, it has been part of the modern life, uh, you know, uh, since mid of last, uh, since last century. And uh, uh, definitely, it's even more so these days. So yes, it's everywhere. It's visible, literally visible everywhere uh, in my home. Yeah, indeed. What about Kate? Um, I think you, you know, you, you pay much attention to the environment, especially plastic uh, uh, waste. Do you use a lot of um, plastic products in daily life? Right. So at home, I, uh, I'm i a bit ashamed to admit, I still have, I do have a lot of plastics around me. Uh, even though, as you say, that's right, I, I'm trying to be conscious. And then I, I do make an effort to reduce uh, single-use plastic around me. So in terms of like uh, containing dishes, uh, like uh, the plastic wrappings, I try to reduce and, uh, you know, uh, use other materials instead. 
and um, you know for buying beauty products I, I can I can I can uh, opt for a more um, uh, environmental friendly option I try to refill uh, the bottles I already have even that uh, I know is just uh, a drop in the ocean I still have to admit uh, I have quite a lot of plastics around me and they are definitely durable very useful to have uh, but on the other hand they are burden to the environment so mm. I'm definitely looking forward to today's conversation to learn from all of you about how to reduce it in our lives right right uh, recycle definitely is a good way to reduce some um, quantity I mean of mm. um, a plastic products in our uh, daily lives what about ed yeah, I mean, they seem to be everywhere. I mean, just like uh, yeah. I, I think we were taking a romp around uh, someone's house. I mean, in the kitchen, for example, uh, you got items such as food containers and utensils and cutting boards, storage bags, of course, wrap, which goes around any leftovers that you might have, uh, you know, and all these small appliances, including blenders, toasters, coffee makers, they often have uh, plastic components. So, and also, as was stated before, the packaging of food and beverages, such as bottles, jars, and cans, are predominantly made out of plastic. But then you move into your bathroom. What do we have over there? Toothbrushes, soap dispensers, shower curtains, Indeed. shampoo, lotion bottles, personal care products, all are made of plastic typically, with some exceptions, of course. Then you go into the bedroom, certainly mattress covers, hangers, storage bins, decorative items, <laughs> all made of plastic, you know, electronic devices, such as televisions, computers, speakers, even, you know, we're talking on the stuff today is, is made of plastic gaming consoles, typically have plastic casings and components. And then in cleaning and maintenance, there's all kinds of tools and supplies, such as brooms, mops, buckets, spray bottles. All of these are made of plastic. So just like they said in The Graduate in uh, in a 1960 film, it was called The Graduate, starring Dustin Hoffman. The guy with the future was he was just graduating from high school. He learned, leaned over to Dustin Hoffman and said the future is plastics back oh. in 1960. And I guess that's what's come to roost to us today. And then how do we get rid of all this stuff that's among us right right. so it's uh actually yeah everywhere so let me ask um mike in another way can you find anything and in your life that's not related to plastics not many not many no the other (laughs) panelists have said it is everywhere and this question is very revealing so i Mm. I took a tour of of my home as well and uh, i found you know basically looking at things simplistically Things are either um, metallic, you know, they're either metal, wooden, or they're plastic, right. maybe some sort of combinations. And there aren't many wooden and metallic things in our homes and in our lives. So it's absolutely everywhere without repeating um, what, what's gone before. One point I would make, it's, been, it's very interesting. We have a recycled bin, as we, I think we do in most countries now. So we have mm-hmm. two bins. We have a recycled bin and then it's a general bin. And I'm always being told by my wife, you can't put that in the recycled bin because it's plastic. So I tend to assume anything that's sort of chunky and has been used, a water bottle, um, food containers, that sort of thing, uh, packaging, food packaging, I automatically tend to put in the recycled bin and I have to take it out and they won't take it away because it's plastic. So not only is it everywhere, uh, the sad fact is that a very low percentage, I think it's something like 14% from the World Economic Forum of plastic packaging is actually collected for recycling, can be recycled and reused. So that sort of exacerbates this this problem. So so yes, we are over-consuming on, on plastic. Mm-hmm. You're saying over-consuming. Yeah. I often, quite often, have to, for a while, when I stand in front of the dustbins and decide which dustbin... It'd be a good exercise to actually, over a period of time, make a note, do an audit of what we actually buy and how much of it is, is plastic and how much of it, and what, what, what we actually do with it, where it goes and how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. I think you know, we need to open up people's eyes into what they're doing with their lives because we're really sleepwalking here, I think, when right, it comes right. to plastic and you know, environmental 
pollution generally. Mm, we'll uh, dive deeper into all those aspects um, later in the show. But as you've all mentioned, um, plastic has permeated into you know all aspects of our daily life, from clothing to, to food, medicine, housing, and transportation, providing great convenience to all of us. But now we are talking about reducing the reliance on plastic in light of the pollution they've caused. So Changhua, how bad is plastic as a pollutant and how harmful can it be? Well, I, I want to add to some sort of a distinguishing feature here, even mm. though generally we talk, we, we, as we we're talking about here, plastic is everywhere, ubiquitous right. in our daily lives, in our job, in our society. But when pollution is concerned, we're mostly concentrating the most problematic uh, or necessary uh, plastic wastes. So that's where the focus is, mm. right? Particular single-use of plastics, that's the absolute number one priority Indeed. that the global community needs to come together to address that. In terms of how challenging it is, I think there are numbers out there saying, you know, we probably uh, so far uh, since the beginning when plastics started being produced or manufactured, we've been only recycling uh, about 9%, right? Mm. So 80% of the plastic we produce actually end up in, for instance, landfill or in the environment, right? right. The other maybe 11% actually end up in, in you know, in, in incineration, we burn them in the process, of course, we that produces pollution damaging the environment there as well. So a lot of more and more scientific research uh, have been ruling out their findings recently, particularly in the last couple of years. The conclusions have been really, really shocking. And we've all seen the images like the turtles, you know, marine life choked the tree by plastics mm. in the oceans. Dolphins. And uh, then scientists are also telling us actually uh, in our drinking water, in our table salt, mother's milk, our blood, everywhere we started to really see uh, the microplastic literally you know in in our life in our body literally that has been a really really major concern for both the environment and the public health impact there that's where i think the global community really started to awaken in that process and trying to figure out how to pull the resources and find the root causes and trying to address that and very encouragingly, actually, the global community under the UN is now all the countries are coming together to negotiate a global agreement, a global convention, trying to address these issues, make sure all the countries, all the parties, actually stakeholders, individuals, companies, governments, you name it, really coming together to address that. That has been elevated to one of the top environmental priority focuses actually for the global community. The negotiation as we've been following has been progressing. Hopefully by sometime next year, we'll be able to have a global convention that really regulate and also guide global actions mm. to address this issue. Right. Uh, like Zhang just mentioned, it's a major challenge. Maybe that's why the UN Environment Program has renewed this call to beat plastic pollution as we mark the 50th anniversary of uh, World Environment Day. Um, this slogan actually was the theme of the World Environment Day five years ago. This repetition of the slogan um, actually shows how urgent this task is for human beings. So, Kathleen, I understand you found this uh, this group or it started this initiative, Trash Running, like uh, how many years ago? Can you introduce a little bit? And maybe from what you are doing, um, we can have a better understanding of how difficult it is to eradicate or even reduce the plastic trash or plastic waste pollution uh, to solve this problem. Uh, yes, sure. Um, so our group, uh, Trash Running, is a, a plugging group. Mm. I'm not sure if you've heard about plugging as it's quite a new, uh, I would say it's a sport. Mm, right. <laughs> it's a combination of uh, running and uh, picking up trash on the way. Um, and it started in Sweden uh, a few years ago. And uh, with a friend of mine, Selina, we initiated a similar uh, community, uh, 
more like a um, series of activities in Shanghai in 2018. So it's uh, it's been five years. And I'm really um, proud to say that our community is uh, run entirely by volunteers. Mm. We have a diverse team um, where everyone has a daytime job and we pretty much organize events in our free time every day in some cities once a week. Well, we definitely make an effort to make this uh, activity part of uh, our regular lifestyles. So it's, uh, you know, quite a nice, fun activity. Uh, you meet your friends, you exercise, you run, and then you also do something good for the environment. And uh, it has been very popular. I'm happy to say that uh, we have held events in 16 cities in China, and now we have over 10,000 regular members. Mm -hmm. All our, our happy <laughs> thresholders, I would say. Right. When we started, we had it once a week uh, mm -hmm. for a group of uh, maximum 30 to 40 people. And uh, as uh, Chinese cities are quite big, so we realized that, okay, maybe we, we, we have to increase the number of the rounds we have a week because people are just physically not able to join because it's uh, the distance or the time problems. So in Shanghai, where the whole uh, community event started, we have uh, runs now six times a week. And uh, in some other cities, we have, depending on the location, one to three times. But we, we definitely insist on having a weekly event, which is, I think, uh, what makes us different from most of the, the campaigns uh, brands or companies would do is because we are keeping our runs entirely volunteer based. And also uh, we keep it regular in terms that everyone can just understand how fun and how easy that could be do a little thing for the environment, even as little as picking up a piece of, uh, you know, plastic or a piece of cigarette butt from the streets. Mm, indeed, that's quite inspiring. But uh, of the trash you and your uh, teammates have picked up, what percentage is the plastic? Do you have any um, idea? When I've been actually thinking about that because it uh, varies uh, dependent on the season. So summertime when most people, it's quite hot around here, especially in the southern cities, most people uh, consume more soft drinks. Uh, so the plastic bottles, we actually quite, have a, quite a lot of plastic bottles, but also in some parts there are restaurants or where, where people can buy just, you know, takeaway food. Actually, the, the plastic wrappings, we actually find quite a lot of those. And I would say if I had to make a, a guess, I would say it's definitely up to 50%. Mm. But not all of those plastics are recyclable because we also separate it or we try to separate it to recyclables and non-recyclables. Mm. And uh, as Changhua mentioned, actually single-use plastic is the main enemy. And then we also try to kind of educate our runners on the way and then, you know, put emphasis on what is can be used later on and what's something that's, you know, gone already. Mm. Then have you found it's a, the situation is a similar in all countries or probably um, plastic wastes or, or pollutant are more common in developing countries? In terms of, um, like, if, if you think about it, how plastic has become one of the major contributors of uh, pollution in these days, but not so long ago, it wasn't really around us this much. And then as also it was mentioned before, how in uh, many countries, there are rules uh, and then there are initiatives to reduce plastic in our lives. Actually, there is also a clear difference in between countries and uh, mm -hmm. even regions of countries. Mm -hmm. And then as you see how we did not really have a lot of plastic before, and now we can also just go back to that state. But on the other hand, you also realize that how committing to a more sustainable living, I'm mm. mainly talking about on a personal uh, level, has a lot of sacrifices. It can be a bit inconvenient, sometimes expensive and often very difficult. And how that has to be linked with something like, you know, more like in the regulatory field. So people are more motivated or, how to say, forced to make that action. Mm. And then I 
my experience is mainly about China. So what I can say is that definitely the pollution problem is, is real here. But I can also tell that to you that uh, no one is ignorant about it anymore. And then it's definitely out there. And then people understand young people like the people we run with. They have that awareness and then they definitely care about this issue. Mm. And we have someone from a developed country. Uh, Mike, what's the situation in Britain? Um, I, I guess people there must have more awareness in this regard, right? Well, you'd think so. You'd think developed countries generally would be more aware, a little bit more on top of things, and actually trying to do something about it, and, and the governments as well. But I'm not so sure. I think people, there's a big difference between being aware, a lot of people I think are environmentally aware generally, but actually doing something about it and, and analyzing behavior and changing behavior, not just changing attitudes. So if you stop the average person in the street, they'll probably say yes. It's very serious and we need to look at it and we, we can't carry on in this way. Something's going to give at some point. However, are they really doing anything about it? I think the sad answer is probably no. And, and it is a staggering, staggering problem because obviously with the developed country comes more consumption, you know, more slightly greater wealth to, to, to consume and therefore that exacerbates the problem. I've got some stats here. I mean, only a year ago, we're talking about 100 billion pieces of plastic packaging a year. Mm. UK households throw away, so that's averaging 66 items per household per week. It's mainly food packaging, as you might think, um, fruit and veg as well, not just the sort of uh, processed foods that we might automatically think of. So it is a staggering problem. I think developed countries are talk about it more and more, uh, but we need to see some action. We need to see some behavioral change, and I think it has to come on the consumer side. Government plays a part as well. What's most worrying about this problem, and uh, maybe we'll talk about this later, are microplastics and nanoplastics and the extent to which they can actually be absorbed by fruit and veg. So, so we will find nanoplastics, which is just basically a, a breaking down of, of plastic material in things such as broccoli, carrots that we would associate with, you know, the most natural, most healthy product that can't be really contaminated mm. by plastic. Indeed. It can. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We'll be back after the break. D-Dime, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chat Lounge, and we're discussing how the world can essentially reduce reliance on plastics and beat plastic pollution. Changhua, Mike just mentioned 100 billion plastic packaging pieces. Can you give us an idea? How, is that a big amount or, you know, especially when compared to the United States, where you also uh, stayed for quite a long time, the, the biggest yeah. country of consumption? It is. It mm. is. All the numbers, actually, we, now these days we know around the world, we have pretty good understanding of how big the challenge is. It's really sort of exponential, astronomical numbers there. So, yes, you know, if you look at China these days, uh, on one side, we've been really taking actions to regulate the single use of plastic is trying to address, you know, recycle, recycling issues, reuse, replace, whatever, you know, three hours or five hours issues there. In the meantime, with the sort of express logistics, e-commerce, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, if you look at the China numbers, even worse because we have more people uh, in this country. U.S., as we're talking about here, is pretty much similar. One thing I do want to respond back to your question to Mike, saying whether developed countries are having more awareness or whether, you know, uh, compared to de developing countries. Uh, honestly, I don't think so. I think awareness probably of the problem, environmental problem, as Mike said, but actually in actions and over the decades, they've been shipping 
uh, plastic waste actually to China in particular. Mm. And when China started oh, oh, I agree. That, Sorry for interrupting. I agree entirely. Yeah, in 2017, and uh, then they started to ship that actually to other Southeast Asia countries, Malaysia, Vietnam, Indonesia, among uh, you know among other countries there. Uh, so I don't think in this particular context, actually, developed countries have played their dual role in terms of taking on the responsibility, but rather uh, they've been shipping the burden actually to other developing countries. In most cases, we didn't really have very well developed sort of uh, sorting disposal uh, or recycling mechanism systems on the ground. So in many, many cases, uh, most of the plastic waste actually exported to China and the other developing countries ended up in river sheds mm. and of course running to the oceans there. Uh, so you need to look at the whole picture to see where each country stands at this moment. At the end of the day, I think we all recognize why we need a global convention because we really need a global community to come together to find the solutions there. I mentioned earlier, I think, you know, definitely single-use plastic is, is one of the biggest challenges, difficult challenges that we need to address urgently. Mm. But in the meantime, there are progresses made already, particular for the relatively high-value plastic, like PET, HDPE, uh, we call it high-value, higher-value plastics. Now they are actually uh, put into the recycling you know, system there, and they are being recycled and uh, part a certain percentage of that recycled content is also coming back to products there so we start to see progresses or models actually emerging in that process which is fascinating to see but in the meantime i don't think we have addressed so far the single use plastic particular for those actually mm. hard to recycle sort of plastics pollutions there and that's where the problems still lie and uh, as i said at this moment not a single country on this planet has figured out really the perfect solution. Each country needs to take on the responsibility. In the meantime, we, globally, we need to figure out how to work together to address that. Mm, yeah. Uh, like you just said, uh, the, the world needs a global convention. And I think um, many countries have introduced actually bans on plastic products, especially single-use ones. I understand China has introduced a series of bans, including you know, banning single-use plastic straws and plastic shopping bags and stores in the country's major cities. And that came after banning retailers from giving out free uh, plastic bags and banning the production of ultra-thin plastic bags in 2008. That's quite early, as a matter of fact. And England banned single-use plastic straws, stirrers, and plastic-stemmed cotton buds in 2020. And in January this year, the British government announced plans to ban single-use plastic plates, trays, bowls, cutlery, you name it. Um, countries in, in Africa, North and South America, uh, European, the European Union have also introduced similar bans. But like you said, the question is, how effective are those bans? You know, me myself, I also need to admit that I use single-use plastic bags quite a lot, especially in the supermarket. So why is it so hard to for people to change their uh, behavior, especially in terms of, uh, you know, abandoning single-use plastic bags and things like that? Why is it so hard to push forward this um, campaign of ending use of single-use plastic products? Mike, please. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, when it comes to single-use plastic bags, particularly for shopping and food shopping, right. I think that we actually have, I'm always trying to be positive and optimistic, I think we have made progress. So our family, and, and you look at the, the supermarkets, you will see people have their own bags, often not plastic bags either, bags made of other materials that they obviously use and reuse all the time. So you, you don't, you're not buying plastic bags at the supermarket or even using a big bundle that you've got in a, you know, in a cupboard somewhere. So I think progress has been made there. Why have we not made more progress? 
I think there's a number of factors here. Perhaps the major factor is people are aware of this problem, but perhaps not aware of the scale and the seriousness of the problem and the immediacy. I think most people push it to one side and think, well, yeah, that's for the next generation. That's for generations to come. You know, we're okay at the moment and it's convenient. So I, I think there really needs to be real attention on addressing the urgency and getting that message across, how we do that, whether government's involved. I think government action is important. And then you mentioned some of the legislation they put through the UK, which is good, but I think it's limited. Its impact is very limited. I think it's about consumer education, perhaps better education and better information at schools, right through the school curriculum, uh, which is happening in this country as well. So uh, I think that, yeah, that's probably the way forward. But good news when it comes to single-use plastic bags and shopping. And uh, Ed has been quiet for for, for some time. So uh, what's your interpretation of this phenomenon? I, I mean, you know, when, when you go to supermarkets or marketplaces here in China, free plastic bags, you know, such as uh, plastic bags on a roll are still conveniently available. Is is that a, a good excuse? Yeah. No, I mean, they, well, they put, certainly put that in place. I mean, they put, put a ban in place. I, mm. In China, as soon as some ban is put in place, there's a, a workaround with that ban. I mean, meaning that you can pay money in order to get the plastic bag. I think that was a workaround. And I think a lot of people opted to do it. It was the same thing like in Beijing here when we they were limiting the number of cars that could be on the road and they were going, okay, odd even plate numbers. And then people were, you know, getting usage of a second plate number that would you know, just put the same amount of, of um, you know, cars out on the street. So, you know, I think, I mean, and I can say this certainly, you know, and I, I don't want to sound like a fossil here, but certainly in my lifetime, you know, going to places like McDonald's as a kid, I certainly remember there were, you know, no places to sit at that time. This is ancient history, but you, you would have it in the car and then my parents would then go and pitch it out into the parking lot. And that was not considered to be unusual. So it, it's been in my lifetime, this idea of absolutely no thought whatsoever, or it's somebody else's problem in the United States to mm-hmm. actually participating where, you know, you're dividing things up is, is I think, progress in some way, shape or form. And this idea, I mean, you know, of trying to, you know, help out is a multifaceted approach, which is now happening within different places around the world. So we've had the rise of, of consumerism and cheap and inexpensive products, which has led to a lot of um, plastic products everywhere. The one-time use of the plastics with regards to food and food-related stuff, you know, is, is we've had bans, you know, and there's been more stringent laws and regulations re- related to plastic use mm. and pollution. In some places, like in Japan, for example, they've even got, uh, you know, higher fines and, and uh, jail terms for yeah. violators. And uh, stronger t- legislation, you know, sends a clear message to non-compliance and that it will be taken seriously and can act as a deterrent in some societies like Japan, perhaps less so probably with regards to other, you know, developing nations as we, as we talked about. But public awareness is one of the things that, I mean, groups like the running group, that sounds fantastic, where people are participating and it's kind of quote unquote cool to do that mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, you know, something that can seem burdensome. Mm-hmm. It can seem kind of fun, almost like in from Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn when they were trying to get the fence painted. He made that into a bit of a game and then got someone else to do it. And so that running is, is something. And so I think as soon as there are problems, I think people come up with innovative solutions like that one in order to have people participate. But I think the thing we haven't really addressed fully is the idea that what do we do with the stuff that's collected and where is that getting processed? And I don't think people have enough public awareness to understand that what they're doing in their home or with running and picking things up or with fixing stuff that's out in the ocean, you know, how are we processing that and getting it uh, to be recycled in a proper way 
uh, that that problem isn't often talked about and probably should you know deserve some more attention. Yeah, making uh, abandoning plastic bags or single-use plastic bags is a cool thing to do. Maybe you know working for little kids, but for you know adults like you and me, Changhua. Do you have any suggestion or? Yeah. Right.、Uh, so yeah. So while I was listening to Mike and at points, I think fascinating to 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 hear the reflection from different perspective directions. There,、mm. one thing which is not、uh, adequately mentioned actually is really the provision of products alternatives on the market. Right.、Uh, absolutely.、Uh, individual consumers need to take on the responsibilities, which is not not new at all. Which started pretty much if you look at you know the second half of the twentieth century, there were so many things that happened. To address, you know, taxpayers are literally picking out the bills for recycling, whatever stuff like that. But we've gone done so much, we've gone so far, but definitely not adequate. Then we started to really look at the other side, right? We say, okay, if you don't want consumers to do this and that, then what can they do? What are the alternatives there?、Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's very important actually to provide alternative products options on the market, so that consumers don't have to think about yes, oh, I, you know, this one, whatever that one is correct or not, but somehow the the bad options shouldn't be being made available on the market. Instead, we need to have alternative, more sustainable, environmentally solutions there. Just to give you one example, so、mm-hmm. two weeks. Ago,、uh, I was in Taipei, and、uh, so I went to a store to buy a drink, right? And、uh, this is sort of,、uh, you know, cotton,、uh, sort of orange juice there.、Uh, so now, when I checked out, actually,、uh, I asked the the cashier. I said, "Oh, is there sort of plastic, you know,、uh, yeah, how, how I drink it?"、Mm. She said, "No,、uh, we are not allowed to provide actually,、uh, you know, any alternatives anymore. You just need to figure out." So when、mm. I, I find a place to sit down, and I start trying to figure out how to open that that sort of,、uh, you know, the drink, it tells you clearly, "Here." This way, that way, whatever.、Mm. I I had it. I I drank it, right? And, and I had no problem to do that. But definitely, compared to before, you have this plastic tube, and then you just use that to to have the drink. That was the old alternative, but it was not provided on the market at that mo- moment actually for me. And rather, I had an alternative. And so I had my drink, even though I felt a little bit inconvenient because it took some time to figure out how to open it.、Mm. But it, it's not that complicated, right? We talked about the cost issue. We talked about the customers' demand habits,、uh, things like that. So I think you know, besides the consumer side, behavior change, whatever, equally important actually is the provision of alternative products on the market. There, I think that's also part of what the UNEP wants to address at the global level. Besides this sort of reduce, you know, sort of element there, we need to address the legacy issues actually, like you know, plastic in the in the ocean, things like that. Very importantly, in the current thinking driven by the United Nations Environment Program, was really to look to combine this effort with market transformation. Right.、Mm-hmm. Look at this. So reuse, recycle, reorient, and diversify. We need to find find out the business models in it,、mm-hmm. so that you know we get all the pieces together to drive the market change, so that we'll be able to have you know investment business actually investing in alternative solution, provide the alternative products on the market. Of course, in the meantime, we do need to continue to educate the consumer, make sure they are aware of the challenges, the issues, and willing actually to pay for alternatives on the market there.、Mm. And Kate, what what's your observation? There,、um, I I do agree with what was mentioned before that actually there are both sides of this problem, right? One is demand, the other is supply. That 
for example, we have this grassroots movement, of course, everyone has that awareness and the kids who join and those parents whose kids are coming with us, they're going to grow up mm. knowing that seeing waste on the streets is bad and then it should not be there, they, they will definitely not litter. But on the other hand, there's also, if they have the option to choose a product which is not wrapped in plastic, especially single-use plastic is, is very important. And I, I personally think that in China, government uh, actions, they really work. Uh, I was in Shanghai when the um, waste uh, sorting policy was launched, 2019, actually 2018-19, and then everyone was aware of it. I'm not talking about how, uh, you know, everyone was, uh, mm, how to say, like uh, complying with it, but sooner or later everyone knew it. And that was a great way with the campaigns, like publicity about people, you know, understanding their idea. And that was like, we we're talking about huge groups of people mm. who since then been, you know, se separating their trash. But as again, Edward mentioned that, that it's just actually like dealing with an existing problem, not really stopping that problem from happening. So it's just like, you know, having the trash already, like what happens to it? Like we can or we should be able to offer options that reduce that amount and uh, and then companies and uh, um, education and and then the government uh, action could be a good uh, solution to that. Mm. And then in the long term, these two parts will meet. And uh, I think it's just uh, the actions of these both sides would, would lead to a, a cleaner and a better environment. Mm. What you just said rem reminds me of uh, something I read on uh, the website of um, the embassy, the Chinese embassy um, in Tanzania. It, it's reminding Chinese nationals um, when they go to Tanzania, they should not carry any plastic bags because they're banned in the country. Probably we can, through introducing such bans, um, reduce, you know, the use of plastic bags. Um, like uh, Ed just mentioned, the, you know, the serious punishment in, in Japan, you know, even jail terms. Ed, would you say it's a good idea? <laughs> what, what are you in for? I'm in for plastic uh, misuse. I mean, you know, that would be the, the discussion in the, in the behind the jail cell there. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's not a, it's not absurd. I think, I mean, the governments obviously have to play some kind of role in it, and nobody can do it better than China. I mean, as far as going from top down, and when we talk about how they can integrate it, I think that people don't realize. But we've got, I don't know, like about you know, 89 million or 90 million party members that are throughout the society and that work in every aspect and facet of the society that can probably work towards getting something like this done. I mean, it's different than in the United States, for example. I mean, I grew up, I mean, uh, certainly on my street, there was no body who was sort of monitoring what the heck was going on and telling us to sort of try to comply or do whatever on our particular street or our particular area, and then up to the city and up to the county and whatnot. But in China, they've got these this sort of apparatus in place and that could be used in a positive way. Now, they've done it so far with regards to raising awareness, raising consciousness. I think everyone, China included, has to grapple with this. China has obviously the largest population in the world. It, Obviously, there's a lot of, and certainly during the pandemic, there is an inordinate amount of folks that are now using takeaway mm. or, you know, um, are, are getting stuff delivered to them, which creates problems. But certainly there have been legislative actions in China. There are legislative actions people have talked about around the world and that that's going to be the touchstone about getting these types of things started. And they've implemented, like like you mentioned in Tanzania, these bans on single use plastics and um, and that it's great that China is making you know folks aware that are going to be traveling to these different locations to be able to be up on it because it would not only harm that country's laws, policies and regulations, but it actually might harm you from entering the country if you've got that stuff 
on you. So innovation and alternatives are being raised by private industry and private people, as was demonstrated you know, by our guest here, who's got this great program that institutes running together with, with cleaning up the environment. And I think that, you know, that being a part of, you know, education, which, you know, wasn't around certainly when I was a kid towards mm -hmm. advancement of this stuff. I mean, even if we look at the full arc of it, certainly, you know, when I was a kid, everyone, we had paper bags right. that were for, for, you know, groceries. And that was replaced by plastic bags because it was meant that, you know, we were cutting down too many trees or not recycling enough uh, mm -hmm. paper products to be able to do that. And now we're going back to that. So it's like, I don't know, it's like past has become prologue here or something with regards to that type of using alternatives that might be um, beneficial. And I think what, what I'm encouraged by is that, you know, with young people and with more and more uh, innovation, that you know, we'll be able to solve these problems with the combination of alternatives, the government bans and governmental laws, policies and regulations, the you know communities doing what they're doing, and then hope to the future with regards to innovation on how to be able to eliminate some of these plastics from the environment. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We'll be back right after the break. With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3, wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chat Lounge, and we're discussing how the world can essentially reduce reliance on plastics and beat plastic pollution. Ed's suggestion of um, asking the 90 million party members to be, you know, the vanguard to promote this idea of uh, environmental friendly solutions to uh, the plastic pollution problem. Just I, I didn't expect it's from uh, Ed. Uh, Changhua. <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's it's the size of Germany. It's the population of Germany. It's and it's it's big, and and I'm just saying it. You know, these units are in each work unit, and it might be some part of the process already. You know, right. that's in place that would help to uh, be at the vanguard of this. Mm, right. Now, Changhua, what would you think of it? Is it, is it a good idea, or what about more stringent laws? Um, from your perspective. Sure, uh, I definitely like as as idea, uh -huh. and uh, I, I think I definitely agree with you. Uh, Theoretically, we do potentially have the apparatus actually on the ground. Uh, I haven't really seen the plastic waste side, but on the water side, the river side, actually, uh, the government has already started to implement something like, uh, you know, river master, yeah. uh, you know, uh, master or lake master, whatever, literally designate a specific person, party member, as well as government officials, actually, to take responsibility for particular parts of the river shed, actually, for the environmental, for the quality, environmental quality perspective. I think so there's a similar sort of thinking already, you know, along the line of your logic there. But that, so far, I have not really seen, and that's applied to the plastic waste site there yet. Mm. The second issue is about, uh, you know, uh, liability, penalties, stuff like that. I think a couple of ways of looking at that. Uh, when China started to ban uh, importing plastic waste back in 2017, uh, that pretty much triggered a global 
sort of a movement, right? Mm. The, if you look around today, many other developing countries actually uh, follow the suit literally, issuing ban in many ways more even more restrictive than what China has been practicing there. I think that's worthwhile to explore. But then the specific of Japan, uh, besides the liability, restrictive liability perspective, there's a, the other side we need to learn. If you look at how Japan has come to where it is today, in many, many ways regarded as a role model for uh, garbage sorting, recycling, mm. it took them about 30 years, literally, to educate behavior change, particularly from kids in school. So they started with the kids in school, say 30 years ago, to teach them how to sort, separate the trash. And so when the kids, actually children, went back home, they teach their parents, right? And of course, you know, I said it took them 30 years. Today, now we sort of understand what they've been doing, what has happened. We don't have another 30 years actually to address this issue, but definitely uh, the case made by Japan could be actually copied, learned very quickly skilled actually in China there as well. So that's second point. The final point I want, do want to add, China today, if you look at the policies regulations there, mm. there is a holistic system sort of a landscape shaping up now, right? Uh, we mentioned the regulations, laws, regulations, and policy incentives there, mm. particularly in the 14 to five year plan, China has this 100 zero waste city agenda plan. So mm. by 2025, at least 100 Chinese cities need to you know, deliver this zero waste city agenda there. If you go deeper into that context there, that's pretty much build up a whole system, right? Infrastructure, uh, the value chain system, logistics, but also the you know, behavior change from individual household individuals, getting the companies actually into that landscape. Uh, so you start to see individual companies and also government actually regulators coming together to really build up, to shift the system in order to back up actually this transition towards zero waste particular plastic waste actually to the environment there. Are we really enforcing everything that? No, I'm now back to Beijing. So I live in this compound there. It's called the International Village here. Right. Uh, so yes, we do have different trash bins, actually cans uh, somewhere in the neighborhood. So when I go downstairs actually to dump my trash, theoretically, I need to put the trash in different bins, whatever, stuff like that. Because of my work-related stuff, so I have seen, I've been observing that. To what extent, actually, you know, people really in my community are really doing that. I have to say I'm very disappointed. You know, the majority of cases there is not done by individual consumers when I go downstairs to dump the trash, but rather it's more the sorting, recycling part is really done by people who come to take the trash, right? Mm. So we are sort of, yes, they are in different veins. So at that level of details now, we are examining, say, what's happening there? Why people, what people are doing right? What's wrong? And why is it wrong? And how to improve that? I think that's the depth of the policy making process need to deep dive in order to really understand how to drive through all the laws, regulations, and policies on the table in order to deliver all the goals and targets we set already. Mm. Maybe add more, you know, elements that um, economically motivative uh, have this uh, economic stimulus would be a good idea. Yeah, no. for- well, I, I wouldn't say stimulus. Actually, China already started to play around or try out this something called extended producers' responsibility. Mm-hmm. So rather than you know putting all, most of the burden on consumers, individuals there, we are now bringing in the producers actually. Uh, so they need to share 
uh, their burden in that process as well. Uh, so on one side, of course, is sort of the incentives for producers yeah. to think from the beginning. That's why you started to see a lot of producers, large companies actually in China, rather than just to produce the plastics, whatever the, the businesses euro practice, rather they have to th think that not only reduce, but recycle, recyclability actually in the designing stage. So mm -hmm. uh, all the things like that started to emerge, right? And uh, on the market there, the, the gap today is that we are not there yet, right? We are not really deployed all the solutions or innovations sort of we know mm. are proven in different parts of the country, different parts of the world, really here in China to address this. So we are at that stage today. And hopefully somehow we need to go deeper. As I said, we have to go really down to the ground level, the last mm. mile, the last kilometer, whatever, mm. in the last meter space to really understand what works, what doesn't, why not, and then need to constantly resharpen our policy incentives in order to drive through the solutions. Indeed. So the last couple of questions. The, the UN actually calls this um, plastic pollution issue a crisis. So do you believe humans are capable of beating plastic pollution? Let me start with Kate. Um, right. Well, I think in theory, yeah, of course, it's just there is a there is a really important time issue here. Mm. So, like, of course, if we all wanted the same thing and then everyone agreed and then ideally, like, uh, you know, everyone could move forward this one target. Yeah, I definitely think we, we can. It's just uh, there are deadlines and then it's not just that, but like it like this pollution does affect our environment and then it was mentioned before microplastics it's already in our bodies it's, it's everywhere so right. how much time do we really have to actually beat plastic pollution or like what would be like do we really want to eliminate plastic or do we just want to keep it at a level which is manageable or do we want to develop new green technologies uh, or transform to a low carbon technology uh, mm. world where you know the recycling systems can work perfectly and then we can still manage to have plastic which has definitely benefits as well and then so how can we find a balance and then what would be the way to actually reach that ideal state of the world which would keep us healthy and the environment healthy in the same time while keeping like these new products and technologies that make our life convenient easy and then very advanced mm, it's also complicated and how optimistic are you uh, mike i'm optimistic i think humans can beat plastic pollution i think we've seen tremendous progress in other areas but it takes time so it's a long-term game so, so I, I i agree with the panelists' comments about education and going right back into primary schools and younger generations actually educating and informing their parents. So, so I think we, you know, we make as much progress as we can in the short term, uh, legislation, um, information, and uh, transparency. But in the long term, we educate uh, younger generations. And I think beating plastic pollution when it comes to China, I think I'm even more optimistic because my research, which is basically looking at changing generations of Chinese consumers, uh, particularly the, the Gen Z, is very encouraging. I think they're very, very much not just aware, but they're putting that awareness into practice. And I think they will enforce a much cleaner environment, particularly when it comes to plastics and, and other issues. And I think that will spread across the world. So I think long term, yes, very optimistic. Education is key. Primary schools and a big part of the school curriculum is the way forward. Ed, don't you feel a little bit frustrated seeing, you know, plastic bags or, or ways that everywhere around you? 
Yeah, you know, I certainly do, but I'm, I too, am very optimistic, and I, and I think that that this can get solved. I think you know we put men on the moon, or maybe a woman one day uh, as well, and I think that we can certainly battle this problem. We haven't really talked about this idea of disappearing refuge containers around the city of Beijing, for example, or around different places in the world, airports and uh, and other places, railway stations. Part of that has to do with combating terrorism, so you can't have these mm-hmm. refuge containers around. And you know, so we, on the one hand, we're trying to teach people to throw stuff away. Yeah. And do it themselves. On the other hand, we've got this disappearance of the refuse containers and rubbish bins in order to, you know, have people, you know, get get rid of those things. Mm. But I do think through, like Saint Ignatius Loyola said, he said, "Hey, give me the child to seven, and I'll show you the man." So I think that by having education, which they've done in Japan, it was mentioned earlier, in in ages, you know, whatever nil to seven, that are thinking about this, that you're going to have people going forward that are going to make this a part of their society. I think that China is, you know, they've eliminated poverty, once that, it's like Maslow's theory of hierarchy of needs, you know, once you've eliminated poverty, then you can start looking at other types of things like eliminating the plastics in the environment. Once, you know, you've, you've taken care of the basics, uh, you're moving on to something more useful for the whole society for yourself. So, so I'm optimistic that as poverty has been eradicated, I think then people move into other things and uh, environmental issues like this will be a priority for Chinese. And I think it's, it bodes well. I think uh, Changhua would be very, well, at least as optimistic as um, Ed. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, so I definitely echo the optimism here mentioned here on this panel today. And so the way I look at if the microplastic or nanoplastics actually in the environment in our body uh, is the prices we have to pay mm. and for mistakes made in the past, I'm hoping that's going to be turned into the biggest incentives for us to change, to transform as quickly as possible. We do have a sort of a space there. The opportunity is that we cannot get rid of the legacy challenges overnight, but we could definitely turn off the faucet or tap to really get to zero say, from now on. And uh, we need to really literally mm. uh, get to zero waste, plastic waste to the environment. I think that's definitely doable. It's not a technology challenge. Honestly, it's not like to put the moon on the moon uh, sort of challenge. And many practices around the world, around the country already there, cases made, there are solutions there. We just need to figure out how to pull all the pieces together to get everyone together to address that. Right. But for me, maybe it's more difficult than putting people on the moon. But um, last but not least, please share your your tips for minimizing uh, plastic use in in our daily life. Can we start with Changhuan, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I I try not to buy plastic uh, bottle, the sort of PET, uh, you know, water uh, bottle. I try mm. to bring whenever possible, bring my water bottle myself. Mm. Uh, secondly, when I go grocery shopping, I always bring my own bag. Uh, it's cloth made actually, so I can use reuse that all the time to reduce actually the use of single use plastics as much as possible. Uh, so there are a lot of things, details in our daily life. If you pay your attention to that, if you really see that as important part of the, you know, uh, the issues there. Uh, uh, you just you know, consciously change your behavior uh, on a regular basis whenever you can. Uh, so I'm hoping that everyone would be able to do that. So that with all the trickle things actually coming together, that will really uh, you know, accelerate uh, us the process to find a solution. And uh, Kate, our expert here of um, trash um, picking, can I say that? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I would I would I would uh, count as an expert, but definitely like during these past five years, I've learned a lot about uh, how, or at least like I tried to focus on reducing plastic uh, mm. because you know you run every day, every week, and then you pick up trash, and there's more and more people, there's more and more uh, runners in our community, but yeah, there is always enough trash to pick up, and then at some point you start wondering like, well, maybe we should just like you know stop 
producing these pieces of trash yeah. rather than only picking them up. And then so this is how I started and then got to know about like very, very basic environmental concepts. And then one of them, when I think I think it was very useful for me, the five R's like uh, refuse, reduce, reuse, mm. recycle and repair. Mm. So before you buy something new, it could be plastic or anything else, but then you think about whether you really need it. And then if you do need it, then you try to reduce, as Changhua mentioned as well, like reduce the number of times you use uh, single-use bags, for example, mm. and then reuse it once you have it, right? Like you just try to make use of it as many times as possible. We always ask our runners to bring a plastic bag from like food deliveries that right. we all have, or most of us, we have these bad habits and then if you already have it, it's fine. It's just give it a second life, like at least use it for, for something again. And then uh, recycle, of course, is also quite a cool thing to go to these uh, swap events. They're pretty popular. One of those fun things mm. people do around here now that you can just, you know, get used things by exchanging it with others. Right. And then these are small community events, also very social time uh, we all have by joining them. Mm. And then repair, of course, it's, uh, it's just don't throw them out and buy better quality and then try to fix them and use them again. It's actually not that hard. And uh, it's just, I think for me it worked that not being too ambitious, it's just one step at a time, like just swap something, like started buying like soap or refilled my shampoo. And then it was just kind of like natural that on the next thing, my dishwasher liquid was also coming from the same store where you could refill it. And then mm -hmm. it was just like that. And um, it's very simple actually. So I hope uh, we will have uh, more of these initiatives around. Right. Good idea. I've never thought about that. But a uh, gentleman, Mike? Um, I think certainly when it comes to water bottles and shopping, minimizing tips, yeah, I, I certainly think, and I think I do that as well. So we, we have water bottles that we reuse, refill. Uh, having said that, there is a big package, pack of 12 in the boot of the car as well. So we're not quite there yet. I think that the, the biggest tip I would give to somebody is take some time to audit what you actually buy and what you consume and what you throw away. So mm. maybe over a period of a week, possibly a month at the, the, the longest, just produce a checklist and it really will probably be quite a chilling eye-opener. We do this with our students when it comes to fashion. So it's related to plastics and it's about waste and overconsumption and we get them to audit their wardrobes, the fashion students, over about a period of a month. What have they used? How often have they used it? How many of this, more, how many more pairs of shoes have they bought, for example? And it really is a chilling eye-opener. So I think an audit and a checklist to really look at this in the cold light of day as so people really wake up to the fact that they really need to change their habit. And last but not least, Ed, please. Yeah, I mean, just uh, I reiterate all the stuff that's been said. And certainly, you know, I, I guess one of the things I would do is buy in bulk, you know, so that uh, it reduces the packaging waste. Obviously, people have mentioned reusable containers. But, you know, also look with, for products with minimal or eco-friendly packaging options, such as cardboard, paper, or glass instead of plastic. Like it's been said here, is it, uh, that fast fashion is fascinating to also think about. I mean, the amount of plastic and whatnot that goes into into that mm -hmm. into shoes and other types of things should be should be considered but you know i think the m main point to take away is that remember that even small changes in our daily habits like mike had mentioned with regards to taking inventory can add up and make significant differences in reducing plastic waste you know i just like fixing society i mean i think it all starts at home and uh, if, if folks are doing that at home, mm. then it, it helps the society in general. And, and that's the direction we should do. Certainly governments help and, and political parties help. But at the end of the day, it, it's, it's what we teach other folks inside our home as to how to go forward and then making a better society that way. Or, or running out of the streets is another <laughs> good way to pick up right, uh, right. an idea as well. So bravo.
Hmm. I don't have any tips、uh, since you've already said it all, and I have to admit, um, I haven't thought that much about it. But um, I'll follow all your advice, and yes, let's start with ourselves from、uh, minor things for the health of Earth and the health of you and me. With that, we come to the end of our chat. Many thanks to Chang Huawu, Executive Director of the Professional Association for China's Environment. Kathleen Sogor, co-founder of Trash Running; Edward Lehman, founder and managing director of China-based law firm Lehman Lee and Shi; and Mike Baston, China observer and senior lecturer at the University of Southampton in the UK, for your time and insights. And a reminder to our listeners: the show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you've got anything to say about the topic or the show, feel free to tell us. Just drop us an email at. Radio at cgtn dot com. I'm Tune. Thank you for being with us. We'll have more chat next week.